a Podcast One production. Amit Goswami is a theoretical quantum physicist. He is one of those rare jewels in the pantheon of quantum physics who brings a deep understanding of reality through a synthesis of science and spirituality. Amit says that quantum physics is not only the future of science, but it is also the key to understanding consciousness, death, God, psychology, and the meaning of life. What follows is a conversation about moving from fear and separation to oneness and manifesting a world that's of the highest good for all. So I always say that intent first from your heart. That's already helping because heart is more pure than the intellectual mind about making intentions. The ones of the heart are much more consonant with the movement of consciousness. And then make the intention that this intention that you are having is good for the greater world. It's not just for you, but for also everyone, because ultimately the granting of your wish can come only from that unity consciousness. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. Amit Goswami is a prolific writer, teacher and visionary. His newest book, The Everything Answer Book, gives us a clear approach to understanding our universe and the theory of everything. In this episode, you will understand how to find true happiness from deep within. How did you go from being a a theoretical nuclear physicist to studying consciousness? Well, this is a sort of a long story. Um, You know, I uh, was a very unhappy physicist in 1973 when I was uh, of age 37. I was feeling that um, really very unhappy. The physics that I was doing was not making me happy. Uh, It was very disjointed from how I left, how I lived, and uh, how I felt, and how I um, communicated with people, have relationships. It was just not giving me satisfaction. So then I go to this physical society meeting to give a talk which is a prestigious thing. But, uh, you know, the uh, attending conference, I felt that others are doing a better job than me, and I started feeling jealous, and jealousy energy was the one that I remember feeling the whole day. And then at 1 o'clock in the morning, I find myself overwhelmed by so much jealousy and heartburn, which won't quit. So I go outside um, from a party that was attending, and the ocean breeze hits me. And the thought comes, why do I live this way? With the conviction that I don't have to. I can find happy physics. Then I started looking for happy physics. It took about um, three, four years from then. And then I found quantum physics. And ever since, I've been happy. That's an unbelievable story. And we'll go into why that happened in a second. But for everyone listening, can you explain what is quantum physics? Yeah, this is a very good question because quantum physics, if you say quantum physics, what has that to do with consciousness is not at all clear. Uh, Quantum physics is the physics of possibility. 
This is where the, um, the entry point is made for consciousness. Possibilities of what? Possibilities of consciousness itself to choose from. In other words, um, usually people look at quantum physics as an equation, mathematical equation describing the movement of matter. But when you actually do the equation, you find that it's not movement of matter that the equation is describing. It's movement of waves of possibility of matter. This waves of possibility, this concept changes uh, not only the nature of physics, but the nature of science itself. Possibilities cannot exist in space and time. So these waves of possibility must exist in another domain of space and time, another domain other than space and time. And what should we call this domain? And the hint comes when you realize that when this domain is the domain of oneness, when we find that this domain is the domain of oneness, communication takes no time in the domain. Objects, if they interact and become correlated, they can communicate instantly which means that this domain is a domain of uh, oneness. Any two objects can interact and become one, communicating instantly. Now, what is oneness uh, in our mm. experience? Only oneness that we have is that mystical oneness that mystics propose that everything is one, all is one. Quantum physics is forced into that kind of recognition, that everything that we see here, experience here, comes from that oneness. How does it come? It comes as a split between subject, we are the subject, we identify with the brain, and we set up the experiment, we look at the electron, we look at the Geiger counter that is measuring the electron. Those are objects for us to see, to us, for us to experience. So the oneness in the process of quantum measurement, in the process of conversion of possibility into actuality is splitting up into a subject and an object. This is the complete explanation of what quantum physics is implying. So how does a person achieve oneness? I've heard a lot about achieving oneness and I know I try and do it from a meditative experience and I believe that I've gotten there on quite a lot of occasions and I know that once you get up into that realm, as you explained, there is no space, there is no time. So you're able to access things a lot faster. But what's your take on when, how people can access oneness? Well, meditation is an excellent way, of course, but one uh, sitting of meditation will not do it. No, no. If, if, we, if we sit in meditation, um, patient, patience is required for the first few months because First few months, nothing much happens. We meditate, but we got lost into our own thought. We come back to meditation, we get lost in our own thought. This has to kind of slow down and we have to reach a state where thoughts become slow, much slower than we normally, than people normally experience. My thoughts are already very slow because I have been doing meditation for 40 years now. So uh, life is lived very differently when meditation has slowed you down because in between thoughts, where are you? Mm. You are in the unconscious. You are in this domain of potentiality. So every time uh, and in that state of domain of potentiality, in between thoughts, every time you have the opportunity, if you are looking for something new, to get into that oneness. So anytime we are searching for something new, 
If it is something old, the oneness does not come in. The oneness does not need to come in because it's in our personal memory. So what you call the personal consciousness is the only one that comes in. That part of the unconscious does not give us anything new, does not take us to the state of oneness. So we at once, we have to slow down. We also have to venture, explore, aspire for the oneness, aspire for peace, aspire for love, anything that takes us to the oneness. These things are called archetypes. So we, we do the meditation with the aspiration of loving kindness, justice, beauty, truth. Um, these are the questions that take us to that oneness. So you spoke about before that you had that, you know, kind of pinnacle moment in your life where you decided that you were not happy in what you were studying and that you wanted to be happy. Why do you think that a lot of people go through this crisis to then need to change? Well, actually, what I had is called a crystallization experience in the creativity literature. It happens to many people. They did not know what their meaning and purpose of their life was. And all of a sudden, because of the intensity in their psyche, I had an intensity in my psyche. Is there an out of, way out of this depression, this absolute hopelessness that I was feeling? So that, that kind of produced an uh, avalanche, a quantum leap sort of thing, an abrupt aha experience kind of thing. That, that is called the crystallization experience. So I was very lucky. Um, um, if that happens, that, of course, is a great way to uh, get rid of a midlife crisis like I was having. Lots of people have it. Mm. Actually, lots of people talk about it, uh, even today. Lots of people talk about it. But no, what happens is that they don't bring the intensity of it. Because today, there's just so much uh, way of escaping unhappiness, you know, uh, in 1970, there was no internet. There's no cell phone. So, um, and also I was a bit on the introspective um, intellectual side anyway, so I would not use cell phones much. Like, even today, I don't really, I'm addicted to them or anything because I never grew up in this culture. Yeah. But in this culture, there's so many distractions that less and less people can bring the intensity. I really want to change this. That intensity is very important. If you don't have the intensity, is there any other way? Yes, there is. If we set up schools, I actually have set up right now a school of transformation where we teach people how to bring that intensity. They're feeling unhappy, but then they don't want to be intense about it. They want to escape the unhappiness to keep life tolerable. You bring pleasures. And that, of course, is one way. You just let the intensity dissipate slowly by doing trivia trivial pursuit, you play games, you do various things, um, superficial relationships. What we teach is that if you don't do that, don't dissipate in information processing, but go for it. Go for it with intensity. Explore. See if there is anything deeper in life, meaning and purpose. And that brings the intensity necessary, and then they would hear the calling and the archetypes and and, and then they have no problem any further. You write in your book, everything is a possibility before we experience it. But if this is so straightforward, why do scientists debate about it? Like, 
why, what do you mean by everything is a possibility? Scientists uh, fight it because they don't need that hypothesis if they are doing physics and chemistry. This is a huge problem. You have this wonderful uh, knowledge, wisdom that quantum physics is hinting at. But these scientists who do who study physics and chemistry, they're only interested in the movement of matter. They're not really interested in their conscious experiences. If they engage with the question that I engage with, their engagement is only from an intellectual curiosity or intellectual challenge. Can Omid be right? After all, you know, physics is physics and consciousness is psychology. Their mind is already made up. The two things are separate. And these are huge barriers. So the way I finally concluded, because it's interesting, the, these same scientists, when they retired, they become much more open. Yeah. And then they can hear me and then they write. I get letters from retired people all the time, retired scientists. But before retirement, you know, they can't do that because the establishment is it's very strong. You can see today huge pressure. You know, right now our president is facing impeachment. But all of his party, although the impeachment case is very clear, but the parties are afraid. They don't want to speak against Donald Trump because they're afraid. So similarly, in every field of endeavor, human endeavor today, the establishment has become very strong. They don't want any deviation. So a physicist cannot survive in a job at a university or a research institute if they start talking about quantum physics in terms of consciousness and all this revolutionary stuff. Okay, so that's part of it. And yes. Part of it is that the way consciousness comes about, look at this, this is really radical thinking. Consciousness in ordinary experience is not a unity consciousness. You have to meditate and you have to do exploration, as I said, and those things people don't want to do. Ordinary consciousness is very contracted. So for a person who is contracted, for that kind of person to accommodate the idea that consciousness is an expansion is very, very difficult. So one is the job, and the second reason is that it really very far from ordinary people's experience, these things that we are talking about. Unless somebody has at least the experience of love or experience of goodness or experience of interacting with others. I'll tell you something. Yeah. 70% of the people who are interested in what I call quantum activism, which is a philosophy of quantum physics, how we live in our life and how we change the world according to that philosophy. 70% of the participants of this movement are women, because women have more connection with their consciousness than men. Men become so intellectual, and men dominate physics and chemistry. You know, 95% of physicists in this country, USA, are physicists, and I don't think Australia is any different. No. This is one huge barrier. If there are more women, I think there would be much more... Um, patient, much more open to quantum physics and the message of consciousness. How do you explain, I was having this conversation with a person just the other day and we were kind of talking about a few things to do with this kind of work and they were like, well, if you can't see it, then it's not true. How do you explain to someone that even if you can't see it, it is true? Yes. 
It is a very hard one, no. But one of the things that we have gradually become used to, and this helps, um, in physics, we, today we have a lot of concepts that cannot be seen, mm. but we have learned to accept it. For example, elementary particles. People cannot see them. People can never see a quark, which is forever um, forbidden from seeing the daylight, according to the theories itself. But we accept, we accept that since the theory is telling us this, then it must be correct because it's giving us effects mm. of that assumption that we can verify. So I said the same thing. Look, if you propose expanded consciousness, you can then predict effects from it. And those effects can be experimentally tested and verified. And there is already data, brain data that verifies this expansion of consciousness that I'm talking about. Two people meditate together, they really do become connected at once without any signal. How? Can you explain how that happens? Yes, we, we have done experiments. A Mexican neurophysiologist, Jacobo Greenberg, first did this experiment at the University of Mexico. I went there, participated in that experiment, which was that two people meditate together for 20 minutes with the intention that we will be communicating directly without signals. And then after the 20 minutes are separated, put in separate Faraday chambers where electromagnetic waves cannot go through. So they're really isolated. They're still meditating on the intention that we will communicate without signals. And now they're isolated from communication with signals. Can they communicate? How to test it? So what they do is that they put both people's scalp in connection with EEG with the help of electrodes, cephalograms mm. that measure the brain waves. So both people are equipped with EEG machines to measure their brain waves. And then only one person is shown a series of light flash. So this person obviously will have electrical activity and there should be a signal in the brain wave data. But when they check the other person, this is the surprise. The other person is not seeing any light flash. But in spite of that, that other person picks up the signal from this person anyway. But there is no electromagnetic wave going between them. How does the electrical signal travel from one brain to the other? This is called transferred potential. This transfer potential uh, now has been verified in two dozen laboratories all over the world. It undoubtedly, it leaves no doubt in anyone who is sensible mind that two people can be correlated in the quantum way, which we call non-locality. And after non-locality has been demonstrated between brains, we really should not have any more discussion. We should not have any debate anymore. This is experimental data that mm. has been predicted by my theory and verified. This is the standard, what we call science. This is how science is done. This is amazing. Can you explain to everyone what is consciousness? Consciousness is a oneness from which our subject object world arise. We have an experiential world where we experience ourselves being the subject of objects that we see. For example, for me, I am the subject and you are the object right now. For you, it's the opposite. You are the subject, I'm the object. But we both have our experience this way because there is a brain. Brain is an object. Brain cannot be subject. This is the mystery. And then we are positing that there is consciousness up above 
another domain of reality, domain of potentiality. And this consciousness, when a observation or experience is happening, this consciousness is splitting up. One part is identifying with the brain and the other part is becoming the world, including you and objects. I want to speak about a favourite topic of yours, which is manifestation, and you write about it in your book, The Everything Answer Book, which is an amazing book, and it does it it's, does exactly that, answers everything. You write, the average person doesn't believe that intent is powerful. They want to know why they can't manifest whatever they want, like a Rolls Royce, for instance. Can you explain the role of manifestation and how it works? Okay, so the first mistake in the um, manifestation process that we make, we think that we can manifest physical objects. This is the first misunderstanding that people have. Physical world is by and large at the macroscopic level where we live, at the level of cars, houses, tables, chairs. This level is fixed like the Newtonian world. This level is not full of quantum possibilities. There is still quantum possibilities, but the movement is so small, we can ignore it. So in the physical world, if I want to manifest a motor car, will the motor car will come from the car lot, which is three miles from here to my house right now? No, it won't. Because yes, that car, car in the car lot can move, but it can move 10 to the minus 17 centimeters. That won't do me any good. It has to move three miles. How long does it take for it to move three miles? 10 to the power 50 years, maybe. So it's too long for me to wait for the car to move the quantum wave from the owner's lot into my parking lot. This is why people's um, desires of manifesting a car, manifesting a boat, manifesting a house, uh, fall completely on the wrong side of the street. What people have to realize that it is not so in our internal world. Thoughts, feelings, these are the things where we can change fast, they are quantum, and if we then wish a thought, then that wish has much more power. But then there is still some difficulty. Yes, thoughts come from possibilities. And if I think, then certainly certain possibilities are accessible to me. But to me, the ego, the thoughts where I have some freedom to change, are very limited. They're thoughts about my own conditioning. Like I'm conditioned to eat chocolate ice cream, but once in a while I do choose peanut butter or banana ice cream. That kind of change I can do. But can I change to be a more loving human being right away? No, I cannot do that. I I have to go through a process. So I have to accept my limitation that in the ego, my choice is very limited. I have to get out of my ego into that some kind of access to quantum consciousness, more unity consciousness. How do I get that access? I have to work through a process and that creative process. Beginning part of the process is that consciousness has its own movement. Consciousness has a purpose in the world, and the purpose is to make the world better, more loving, more just, more good, more whole. And if I align myself with the purpose of the movement of consciousness, my chance 
of success increases. So I always say that intent first from your heart. That's already helping because heart is more pure than the intellectual mind about making intentions. The ones of the heart are much more consonant with the movement of consciousness. And then make the intention that this intention that you are having is good for the greater world. It's not just for you, but for also everyone, because ultimately the uh, granting of the of your wish can come only from that unity consciousness. And that unity consciousness likes it. If you are not asking for your selfish need, but for everybody's need. So, and then at the third stage, we, we, we say, we intend that, that my intention be in resonance, with, in consonance with the movement of consciousness, with the meaning and purpose of the world. And then we end up with silence. Silence is the way to pray. Prayer must end up with silence. So if we make intention that way, we are already doing better. And then if we follow up the intention with what I call the creative process, then we are doing very much better, so much better, that we will get an insight, a change of thinking, a new thought, a new feeling, which will give us the way to manifest the intention in a proper product. If the product is an external product, I want to write a book, I want to write a song, you know, all mental vital stuff. You, you cannot manifest a car unless you intend like, oh, you have an aunt and you say you intend that, okay, let this aunt will me, give me a car. That kind of thing can uh, one can try. I have never had anybody <laughs> try like this, but we might experiment with this kind of thing. But I think the best thing for people to try to intend is to um, get a product in, in the mental vital uh, dimension, in the feeling or thinking, like writing a book, writing a song, creative uh, objectives are fine. Also changing oneself. I want to be more loving. It works very well. We already have tried this in, in our workshops. We teach people how to be loving. People often complain that we used to be so much in love and we used to be so much for each other and now we get bored so easily. We, we are unhappy, we are fighting. What can we do? And we teach them this creative process. We teach them, okay, intend to have that love back and see what you can do and follow this process. And indeed, people follow this process and they say, okay, we call it quantum healing. The love is back. So this is the kind of thing which you can intend and really put the quantum picture in place where it works for you. How fast can this happen? Because I've heard that some things can happen instantaneously. Yes, it does happen instantaneously, but with a preparation. You have to, if you go through the stages, what I call do, be, do, be, do. Creative processes, do, be, do, be, do. It's not even going to only preparation, work, work, work. Okay, I try this, I try that. Will my love come back? It's not even that only. We have to do that and also do nothing in between. Do and be. And if you repeat that process like that fancy not the jingle, do, be, do, be, do, then, then the inside comes. The insight gives us the clue, okay, this is where I'm going wrong. I am objectifying my partner and I have to make the partner into a respectful subject. I have to give him or her 
I have to recognize the otherness of the person. This is also as real a person as I am. And that recognition requires practice. We find when I went through this process of discovering love for my partner, I had to do this thing. I was constantly becoming a little bit of manipulative in the relationship with my wife. And when I discovered that, I realized, oh, this is what is blocking me. And so I gave up manipulation. Initially, it was very difficult, but it happened. And that's what we're looking for. Then you, your love becomes unconditional. What are the biggest things that you've manifested in your life? I think love is probably the biggest thing. A um, bit of a wholeness too. I mean, you know, I started with the idea of doing happy physics. What that really meant is that physics which will not be in conflict or not be indifferent to the way I live. So today, these things that I do, I work all the time and very exciting things, teach and so forth, travel and lectures and all this. Um, how do I continue to be um, so active without having a lot of stress in my life? Because the stress goes away when uh, the way you make a living is completely in consonance with the way you think and the way you live. So my living and my making a living are not two separate things. My thinking is not in dissonance with how I live or how I make my living. Everything is in synchrony. And this is what we call wholeness. So if wholeness comes to our life, this is probably eventually I'll call my greatest achievement. The wholeness is not complete yet. So I think at this stage, I usually say love is what I can call my great accomplishment, but wholeness eventually, I think, will eventually will top that because there is nothing like wholeness. If your yes. life becomes one undivided whole, you can imagine how happy that would be. That would be one completely without boundary, one state of joy. You talk about the ego and the quantum self. That's a, that's a big part of your book. And I just want to read a little bit out of it. This is why poets and mystics encourage us to be centred in the present, to see if everything as if for the first time, to experience it without the burden of past memories and future projections. When we do this, we operate from the quantum self. By contrast, ego responses are jaded responses in which we feel separate. In ego responses, we lose that extra mundane quality of oneness, of no separateness. What is the ego and the quantum self? Well, the ego comes with very local concerns. I mean, the ego happens um, because of necessity. Ego is a very necessary part of our being because ego gives us way of doing things. Even for going to toilet, we need the ego. Without toilet training, we could not do it, right? We would go, go toilet everywhere. So ego is very useful at once. It's absolutely essential at once to carry on our life in the waking plane, waking awareness. But when does the ego start blocking our consciousness? That happens because we identify with a whole bunch of conditioning. Not only that, a whole bunch of memory. We call it our history. We try to we begin begin to take it seriously. I am Amit Goswami, I have a PhD, oh God. 
um, I have taught in this, this, this place. I have given so many talks. I have given this lecture here, this lecture there. When we make a big case of it, you know, when ordinary language people say our head is swelled up, we miss the point. And this is where we become very constricted. The more we miss the point, the more we isolate with myself, me, that becomes the objective. That's the constriction that ego produces. So how do I get out of it? I get out of it in two ways. One, look for expansion directly, and the other is through relationship. My choice was relationship. I had a very challenging wife who told me that, um, well, you know, I, I'm going to marry you because I love you, but I have to know I'm not in love with you. Your wife and said I, that? <laughs> I am not in love with you. Wow. So I, don't, I didn't even know what the distinction of love and in mm. love is. Okay, I learned it over the years, and I also eventually you know, earned her in loveness. So, uh, but this is the challenge, this is kind of challenge which helped me in recognizing how impoverished I was in terms of my inner life. You know, we miss it today. Today, everything, success is so much of an outer life. Mm. What is your outer accomplishment? How many degrees you have gotten? What is your salary? How much income do you make? What many houses you have? Cars and all this stuff. But ultimately, where is everything if we are unhappy inside? I mean, you know, there people make cartoons of it. I, I remember one cartoon where this guy says, oh, I'm so unhappy, so I'll just make money. So he makes a lot of money. And then he starts talking to his pile of money. I have all of you and still I'm unhappy. Give me happiness, give me happiness. He shouts at his money. But of course, money cannot give him happiness. So, you know, this is the life that we become stuck. We think that the outer accomplishments, they pile up and we're still not happy. We don't recognize where it's really at. It's at the inside. We have to look inside and see what the inside gives us. And when we look inside, when we meditate, we get into creativity and we start changing transformation, then we find that our consciousness can include others. Mm. And that's key to happiness, relationship. I can love you and that is the best proof that, that I can be happy with you. But if I don't love you, then when you come, what's the, what's the situation? We say technically in chakra psychology, the energy goes out of my heart chakra. Literally, vital energy actually depletes the heart chakra and so I feel jealousy instead. Oh, you are so petty and I'm old now. I cannot talk like you because you sound so young and my voice is big. All this comparison comes and I become unhappy then. This is the, the perpetual problem of the human being. When you are at equilibrium with another person, when your consciousness can expand to include him or her and these comparisons don't enter, and you can truly enjoy, oh, this person is doing great. How much do you think we create the reality we live in? So in that sense, when you are at that place, when you realize that you can create your internal reality, that's the one you can really create. It's not the external reality so much. Although if you have a good internal reality, you will also be successful externally too. So that, but that's a secondary thing. When you realize this and, and, and really start creating your internal reality, a very beautiful garden inside of you, 
then then that, let that garden flower and people will see the flowering and they will of course let you also have a fair amount of success outside. That's the way to go at it. I create our own reality. Should have uh, Fred Alan Wolf, my friend, coined that phrase in the 1970s. He should have said, I create my own internal reality. And then whatever effect that has, that can affect also the external. So how do we kind of better ourselves, I suppose, to be able to achieve that? Yeah, so how to better ourselves is the uh, study of this transformative education that that's the objective of the transformation. People in our culture are too much into outer things. This is the, we live life with a job where we earn money and then we pleasure ourselves. So this earning money is for entertainment. This is the way that we society is constructed. And then there are few people who live at a higher level. They're called the politicians, the movers and shakers of society. They do things slightly differently, but not all that different. They don't also have the capacity of expansion of consciousness. So when I say slightly differently, how? They dominate others. They have much more capacity. Um, they have explored the initial archetypes, the abundance and power. They have amassed powers for themselves, and they have amassed a lot of abundance. And with that, they dominate other people. This is more or less a summary of our entire society and culture. And then in this, there are a few people, uh, and they're not so few, 15% of seven and a half billion people is a billion people. So it's not so uh, little either. These people, they discovered that if we change internally, then life becomes different. You become much more happy, much more joyful, much more love, much more fairness in your life, much more beauty, much more truth. And this is wonderful because consciousness remains expanded. We don't have to go through this ups and downs, this hate and stuff that people live all the time, this competitiveness. And instead, you can cooperate with other human beings. Instead, you can love with other human beings. So this difference in life, difference in happiness level, makes a huge impact. Mm. And and so you know this is the this is the you have to you have to see the impact in your life before you can become motivated into living this way. Otherwise, you can go on and blame why aren't the others interested? But so long as it's empty, you know, quantum physics is not a matter of philosophy. Yes, it gives us a good philosophy, but that doesn't do it. One has to see that yes, quantum physics produces a tangible effects in our lives that makes life better. And this is what we have discovered. Quantum science, the way we do it, is that we show constantly that, yes, if you live the quantum way, the quality of our life changes. In the uh, world today, so many countries, so many people, as I said, one billion people are able to get over that quantity of life, that stage you already had. We have lived with survival instinct for what, for a million years of human life? Now it's time for some of us who can to get out into this new world where the quantity is no longer important. Survival is to be supplemented by this, what Abraham Maslow called satisfaction of higher needs, meaning and purpose. And when we bring that into our life, life becomes different. Life becomes joyful. Life becomes happy. Life becomes intelligent. 
And when people understand that, more and more people will do it too. What's your heart's greatest desire? Well, so so these are my some of my heart's desires that you know the world changes. I, I hope there never is another world war. I hope that people are not taken over by dictatorship all over the world, where we are seeing the trend right in America today. Um, and I hope that that people get a chance of all people not just the affluent. All people get a chance of recognizing that they're a human being with infinite potentiality to pursue, to explore, to make themselves a better person. So these questions that you ask, how do we better ourselves? Let it be available to everyone. That is my deepest and fondest wish of my heart. Ah, What inspires you? Well, the inspiration is an um, interesting business, you know, now that we understand it. Inspiration is when quantum self is talking to us. So it is very important that we have inspiration in our life. And getting an inspiration is so easy. What can I tell you? When you look at a flower, it inspires you. You look at the sunset, it inspires you. Why? Because those things, beauty, is an archetype. As soon as you engage with an archetype, we, our consciousness expands. And that is the way to get inspired. So I do nature work a lot. Nature work is a fantastic way to get inspired. You know, you look at the river, you look at the trees, mm. and can talk to you, and they talk in terms of vital energy, and you are in that non-local reality where you are not only ego anymore, you are also in the quantum self. So that's how I get my inspiration every day. What's a life of greatness to you? So greatness to me is really expanded, fully expanded consciousness. So if, um, if I ever explore and achieve the archetype of wholeness, I think um, that would be the greatness to me. Greatness to me, funny kind of way, does not include the what spiritual people call enlightenment. That I think is running away from more of an escape from reality because you get liberated from birth, death, rebirth cycle. And that is the theory and quantum science accepts and verifies or justifies that theory. But greatest to me is a much better way to live because I still contribute. But I contribute with, with complete happiness because there is no glitches anymore. Everything is integrated. So one lives in a complete flow and I think the, the greater we are, the more of this flow. And if we look at the life of great people, like Einstein, for example, he was a great man. Why? Because his life, um, intellectual life at least, I know he had a lot of unhappinesses dealing with women. Uh, he expressed that in his letters. I know that. I'm not I'm aware of it. But much, much of his life was not lived in that domain, in the emotional domain. He lived much of his life in the intellectual domain. And the wholeness he achieved in the intellectual domain is amazing. And that wholeness shows in his autobiographical story. If you read it, he will, he will talk about it. That, uh, you know, how his life was a without any boundaries, seamless way it moved from one problem to another and resolving them. He's, he's having a very happy intellectual life. So, um, and for me, it's not just intellectual, it's also feeling. So, uh, if there is complete, no boundary kind of life, 
I think it will be truly not only an expanded consciousness, but also outwardly a great life because um, I think that we need we need people who are role models for this new model of life that quantum science is leading us to. And these role models are people who can live a life of wholeness. Other people can see that and can get inspired. Like when we look at a leader like Mahatma Gandhi or Nelson Mandela, we can get inspiration. Oh, people mm. can live this political life and still so whole. There's no, no particular obstacle that the person is facing, no particular disjoint of this part does not match this part. What they say is how they live. This is wonderful. So if I could live that way, I think that is the greatest achievement a human being can hope for. Amit Goswami, thank you so much for all the beautiful work that you do. We are so unbelievably appreciative and thank you for chatting to me today. You are very welcome. Stay connected by following A Life of Greatness on Instagram at A Life of Greatness Podcast. For more information and to watch videos on this and other episodes, head to sarahgrimberg.com. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate and review A Life of Greatness on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. A Life of Greatness is a Podcast One Australia production. Executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolich and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au.